Hello and welcome to the Recon Ride, the race preview show from the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And, uh, wow, we've reached the end of the classics. I hate to say it, it's never fun to say it. They're not, they're not over. It's not the end. They come back next year. We've reached the end of the 2018 Spring Classics. <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty big bummer, man. It's always sad to see the Classics go. Like, it's a nice, it's aggressive racing, as we saw, kind of from the get-go, really. Like, San Remo tends to be the most chill of these things, and uh, it was not so chill. Uh, the, have, having the LA Attack win, that was, that was cool. Yeah, what's your take so far on the, on the cla- well, so far, what's your take throughout the Classics with only one to go? How, how, do, you, uh, how do you rate them, this, this 2018 Classic season? I've liked the races I've watched. Um, but I've really only watched the big important ones. Well, I think you're probably not alone in that department. And, and most of the big important ones have delivered. I mean, you mentioned San Remo being significantly more exciting than I was expecting, than most people I think were expecting. <laughs> and uh, I think Flanders and, and Roubaix were adequately entertaining. Fortunately, there is one major classic left for us to enjoy. And that's what we're here for. We're here to talk about Liege-Bastogne-Liege. We're going to preview the race going to give you an in-depth look at the route and the riders who are going to contend. We're going to give you some predictions, as always. Uh, that's what we're here for. But, yeah, it is kind of a bummer that the Spring Classics are over because we do love the Classics. And after Liège, it's basically uh, 10 or 11 long months until the Spring Classics start up again. So, hope you get your Classics fill here this weekend. It's a good race. It's it's one of the oldest. Uh, nicknamed La Doyenne, which means the old lady, but it sort of translates to, like, the granddaddy of them all in American sports parlance. Uh, it's a race that, uh, it's got prestige, it's got history. I I think it's got a potential to send the classic season out with a bang. Although recent years, Liege-Bastogne-Liege has definitely taken a hit in terms of the entertainment department. So this is its chance to, to flip the script and, and hopefully follow what we saw at, uh, at San Remo and follow what we saw, uh, actually at, uh, Amstel and Flesh Wallonia. I think people just say that whenever Alejandro Valverde wins the race, oh, it wasn't exciting. Like, I, I feel like 2016 Liège was pretty exciting uh, with Wild Pools winning out of a, a late breakaway. Uh, I think 2014 was very exciting with, with Dan Martin closing, but then crashing uh, in, the, in the closing meters and, and Simon Guerin's winning. I think Dan Martin's 2013 win where he just kind of powered away from a super strong group, you know, Earlier than anybody, I think, could have anticipated it was possible to get away. Uh, you know, I thought that was pretty exciting, too. If you go back the year before that, uh, Maxime Glinsky's win over Vincenzo Nibali, who just kind of ran out of energy. I don't know. I've, I've found the races to be to be acceptably exciting. Yeah, I think I think for me, the, the question is, can uh, can the, the race be spicy enough in the last 40 minutes or so rather than just in the last 10 minutes? And we we've seen at La Flèche alone that this has really been a problem for quite a while, where everybody waits till the Mur de Huy. But uh, at at Flèche alone this year on, on Wednesday, thanks mostly to Vincenzo Nibali and a few other exciting riders, Bikov Kwiatkowski as well, uh, the race was pretty interesting actually for the final 40k. Where there was actually there was actually some action there. I mean, it, it wasn't a, a foregone conclusion that it was going to come down to the Mur de Huy, uh, and and that really spiced things up. And the same with Amstel Gold. These are all races, the Ardennes races that have received some criticism in the past, I think, for just not being quite as uh, thrilling, not being quite as uh, conducive to long-range attacks as uh, Tour Flanders. We've also seen significant uh, modifications, uh, especially Amstel is really... Amstel is totally okay with, like, 
completely rewiring itself every couple of years. And it, even Flesh for Alone, which is run by the ASO, which is not the most change-embracing group in the universe, has, has added that extra climb and really – yeah, they've really kind of coaxed some action out of the race by, by altering the parkour. And I, I don't know whether it's time for Liège to do that or not, though. Yeah, the organizers of the Ardennes races, I think, have definitely heard some of the, the Twitter criticism of the excitement of the races or lack thereof. And they have they have responded, especially at Amstel, as you point out, and, and Flesh Rollins made some changes. I think Liège, you know, they've, they've talked about making changes. They've made a couple of changes. It needs to be said, and Fred and I talked about this a little bit uh, at the, the last Bell News podcast. I think it needs to be said that one thing these races suffer from is the collective memory of how they were raced 15 years ago. Yeah, uh, it, in a very different era. In a different let's era. Say. Yeah. <laughs> the riders at that time were, uh, they were preparing for these races with a different training approach, shall we say. And it mm. just it lent, it lent them to being able to, you know, make 40K attacks and, and go solo five climbs from the finish. And the, the truth is, that's just not going to happen anymore. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people maybe forget that in in, in a different era, that's going to be one of the consequences. And and uh, if you like clean cycling, it's something that you're going to have to accept that you're not going to get these insane uh, 50K out attacks on a race that's this hard. But especially this year, I'm very optimistic after Amstel, after Flesh Alone, after Milan San Remo, which is a race that we, we talked pretty... I mean, we we kind of went at length into how boring that race can be, and we actually kind of joked about how, thankfully, Vincenzo Nibali you know, <laughs> spices things up with a with a hopeless attack every year, and then boom, he actually won the race. So I'm a little bit more optimistic because of all the things we've seen the last couple of weeks here. Uh, I will say another thing that Liège suffers from, through kind of no fault of its own, uh, is is the uh, the somewhat muted racing culture in Wallonia compared to the Northern Classics that precede it. Uh, with with Roubaix and and uh, Flanders, Roubaix is in France, but it's close enough to Flanders that there's tons of Belgians out on the road, and it's this hugely hyped event with all the cobblestone stars. Wallonia just doesn't have that same amount of appreciation for bike racing. Uh, they do have a star in Philippe Gilbert, but it just doesn't have quite the same cachet uh, racing in Wallonia. So I think it kind of suffers from there there just not being so much local interest. But that doesn't make it, you know, a worse race. That just the fact that there's not a ton of uh, Flemings out on the road. I mean, there's there's a fair amount. I, I totally agree with where you're coming from with the the muted racing culture. It's a very different scene. But at the same time, uh, Liège, the, some of the major climbs, especially at the end of the race in Liège, happen in areas of relatively high population density. Like uh, you go to Flanders and you'll see people out on the roads, and you'll probably see those same people driving across the border to France out in some field somewhere or in a cow pasture. And this is literally like the bike race is riding past the door to your building. And there are people out lining these climbs and cheering, and they definitely don't seem like they know all that much about cycling. A lot of them seem to know how to run really closely behind a TV moto camera. Uh, but I, I think there is, a, there is a culture kind of surrounding it. It's just not the, the standard thing we're used to from so far this spring. That's a good point though. People do turn out for these races. Uh, and 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 another thing I think that 
again, if you're going to compare it to the other monuments, the other the other two monuments take place in Italy. One of them takes place in the incredibly scenic region surrounding Lake Como, and then the other one goes to the Tyrrhenian coast and finishes in San Remo. So if you're talking about scenery, again, Wallonia just doesn't quite contend with Italy. But as much as people like to rag on Liège, the uh, surrounding countrysides. It could be as long as it's clear and sunny. It's it's lovely. I mean, it's it's green, and this time of year, because it's springtime, it's probably the best time of year. So there's there's plenty to see in the countryside on the, on the road from Liège to Bastogne, and then back into Liège. Even if again, people do love to rag on the fact that Liège itself is is uh, we've used the word post-industrial like 27 times over the last three years of podcasting. So I think Liège itself maybe gets a bad rap, and and it has there's plenty to enjoy there. And that people do turn out, even if maybe they don't know as much about what's going on as the folks along the roadside in Udenarda, uh, the people in the age, they do turn out. So there's plenty to like about this race. And... And, you know, the other thing about Liège is it's just totally different from from most of the other cobbled classics that have been dominating the conversation so far. So it's a nice change up. Yeah. And I, a nice thing about Liège, I, I, yeah, again, we're, we're sort of forced to frame this whole classic season in the light of Milan San Remo, where we saw a Grand Tour winner kind of bust away um, and, and, and contend in a win, a classic. But this is historically, I think, a race where Grand Tour riders have had the most ability to kind of get out and mix it up with with the classics racers and have success. And I mean it does have these these climbs are not like the climbs in in, in other classics. You know, they're much longer, they're much steadier. Uh, you don't it isn't so much power as it is, you know, really kind of pacing yourself and not that you can really attack any climb from the bottom, but these are maybe a little a little more conducive to somebody who can ride steadily at that at threshold versus just throwing down power for 2 minutes. Yeah, the uh the list of winners, particularly 15, 20 years ago, you would see a lot of guys who were Grand Tour contenders up there uh, at Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Uh, Lance Armstrong, by the way, two-time runner-up at Liège-Bastogne-Liège. And um, in case you're keeping score, those are those are results that he actually continues to have, uh, as opposed to his the Tour de France victories, which never happened. Uh, he never won those, those seven Tours de France. He did apparently rack up two uh, runner-up performances at Liège. Those were never stripped from his Palmares. So to give you a, a sense of the kind of rider who does thrive at Liège, plenty of Grand Tour guys. I think another thing that Liège in, in recent last couple of years, again, has sort of suffered from is that the Tour de France guys have sort of stayed away. I mean, Chris Froome has never been a one-day racer. And not only has he never been a one-day racer, he's just he's just bad at it. Like he's really bad at one-day racing, as far as we've ever seen. Uh, maybe if he focused on it, he'd be good. Who knows? But he has never been a a great one-day racer. Uh, Nairo Quintana does not ever kind of plan to contend at Liège. Fortunately, the guy who won Milano San Remo has made Liège a target. I actually chatted with Vincenzo Nibali way back at the Tour of Oman, and he kind of listed out his his targets for the season, and Liège was a big one. He really wants to win Liège. He's definitely focusing more on the one-day races. Uh, and uh, by the way, he didn't mention at that time Milano San Remo as a big target. So he, if he could win Milano San Remo when it wasn't even a really big target, just think of what he's capable of here at Liège this year. That's a good sign. So Vincenzo Nibali, obviously Alejandro Valverde, there are some other Grand Tour guys who are definitely interested. It would be nice, I think, for the race's prestige if if some of those other Grand Tour riders would start to come out here and, and focus on uh, maybe maybe coming back to Liège, because uh, that's something that, that the race definitely thrived on in, in years past, was all those Tour de France guys. Although, yeah, there's a couple. Roman Bardet as well, a couple other guys. So hopefully we'll continue to see more of that. Um, and hopefully we'll continue to see excitement this Ardennes week. 
Hopefully this will follow up Amstel and flesh roll in with a little bit of action before the finale. Uh, it's going to come down to the riders, and of course it's going to come down to the route. Let's talk about that route here. So Liège-Bastogne-Liège, 258.5 kilometers from Liège to Bastogne, but not actually back to Liège. Well, it goes through Liège, but it doesn't finish there. It finishes in An, which is just a little bit outside of Liège. So another one of those races that uh, not quite accurately named, but close enough. A very wooded, hilly route. Quite a contrast to, uh, to what we've seen so far, uh, although they are. Still famous battlefields, uh, the Belgium being Belgium and kind of the least arduous way for France or Germany to invade the other. Significant uh, famous battles in World War II in the Ardennes forests, and we ride through a lot of them. It's very pretty, even when it snows. Yeah, you can get a great uh, 20th century history lesson just by following basically the last three weeks of cycling, <laughs> because you get World War I galore, particularly Gent Webblegum, which is a race that really focuses on sort of honoring the World War I history. And then Liège, Bastogne, Liège goes right through the the heart of basically the Allied 1944 campaign. And so really great World War I and World War II history. Every classic season, if you're into that kind of thing. So in case you're looking for a diversion of you know, the first four hours of racing, there's not a lot going on. You can read plenty about all the towns they're riding through and, and all the uh, important uh, spots that they're passing and, and what uh, impact they played in World War II. Anyway, plenty of climbs along this route. Uh which ones do you think are going to be the, the most important? Uh, well, you, you, I think you lose your cycling knowing things about card if you don't start with La Redoute, right? Probably, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a big climb. It's open. It's in a field. Most of the climbs previous to it are in the woods. Uh, it tends to have a really big crowd, lots of places to park camper vans. I think it's also right next to a highway, which helps, although the highway does not interfere with the the scenic and prettiness of the climb. After that, there's the Rochefoucauld, which is a kind of steeper, fieldsy-ish climb with also a few woods here and there, if I recall correctly. Uh, then the Côte Saint-Nic is in actual Liège, uh, which is always like, I just think it's really cool that the race, yeah, the thing about cycling is, yes, the race comes to you, but generally you can't just walk out your door and watch it. And to have a cool race, a very big, important race like this show up routinely at your doorstep has got to be really cool. Uh, and then there's a little climb up to Aw, which is the, I don't know what the specific term is. It's like a neighborhood or suburb of Liège, although it, it's not like, if you're from America, you would not recognize it as a suburb. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that considering how much the ASO loves to categorize things, that they do they do not categorize the final kick into Aw, uh, even though it's it's about a kilometer and a half of, of uphill, and they, they're going to they're going to ascend about 80 meters in that stretch. So it's definitely worthy of something, you know, some some kind of uh, categorization. It's about a 5% gradient for that stretch, you know, give or take a little bit. So once you make it over those final climbs, you still have this, you know, this last hump to contend with. It's certainly not the Mir de Huy, but I mean, it, there's there's a corner that has caused some problems in the past. Yeah, that, that is a, a, a special obstacle if you're Dan Martin, but an obstacle for anybody, really. Uh, you got to got to kind of come around that bend and then it's a really hard push up to the finish line. We've seen sprints there. We've seen guys stay away. This is definitely a race that sort of has that 
Can they stay away or are they going to be caught dynamic? Although you're never going to see a large bunch sprint into Wa because at 258.5 kilometers in full with 11 categorized climbs and this uncategorized final kick, it's just not going to happen for any sprinters or any large group to arrive at the finish. One thing that's always going to play a role in any spring classic is the weather. And Liège is, well, it has seen some tough weather in the past. It doesn't have a history of like a Tour of Flanders or a Gent-Wevelgem. Uh, but it's certainly something that should be touched on. It snows on occasion. Yeah, it does. Every 30 years or so. And and the puns come out. Niege, Baston, Niege. Of course, yes. It's famous the, the favored, of this race. The favored puns. Uh, this Sunday, what needs to be said is that the temperature should be lovely, although there is some possibility of rain uh, and, and possibly even thunderstorm. It does not look like there's going to be a lot of rain, but that could play a role. Uh, we record this show in the middle of the week, so plenty of time for things to change uh, as we saw with Perry Roubaix, there was some expectation in midweek that it was going to be a rainy one. It ended up being a mostly dry, very slightly muddy one. So you never really know as far out as we are. But there is that possibility of rain. Uh, and on a course like this, on these windy roads, that can play a role. Keep an eye out for the weather, uh, obviously heading into the weekend uh, ahead of Sunday's race. All right, so that's the route, the possible climate conditions. Let's talk about the start list and the riders who are going to make Liege best on Liege. So Liege Bastogne Liege 2018 is going to see a number of uh, well climbing stars as usual. <laughs> That's uh, nothing unsurprising. I will say that that we've seen a, a bit of a surprising run up with the other two Ardennes races, and that's going to make things a little bit more open. We always try to stress that we record the show a couple days out, and so the start list is in flux at all times, and that makes things unpredictable. But I'd say that this year things are even more unpredictable in a, in a good way because Flesh Wallone and, and Amstel did not turn out the way that, well, certainly not the way I expected them to. I thought Alejandro Valverde was going to win both of them, actually, and he won neither of them. Uh, I definitely thought he was going to win Flesh Wallone. He was a pretty heavy favorite, odds-on favorite, which is not easy in a one-day race to be an odds-on favorite. Uh, and he did not win that race. Julian Alaphilippe topped him at Flesh Wallone. So we have a couple of storylines coming in here that really mixing things up. And, and in the past... That hasn't always been the case. It's People have come into Liège with sort of the foregone conclusion of, of what was going to happen. This year, I think it's pretty wide open, so that's pretty exciting. All that being said, Alejandro Valverde, still your bookie's favorite headed into the race, and deservedly so. He's won it multiple times in the past. Uh, Four just, times. Just, yeah, indeed. Four times with 11 years between his first win and his most recent win. Yeah, that, that's Pretty much sums up Alejandro Valverde for you, I think. And and despite, you know, not winning yet in the Ardennes Classics, he has looked very strong. It's not as if he's looked weak. Uh, he was second at Flesh Wallone. And, and of course, earlier this year, he was dominant in the stage races he took on Catalunya, Abu Dhabi, uh, the Volta de la Comunitat Valenciana. So he's certainly a rider who's in form, and Liege just suits him perfectly because he has that finishing kick. He's a clear one-day performer, one of the best climbers, I mean, he's got it all, and, and Liege, is, is, it just suits him perfectly. And his team is very good. I, I don't know if you saw today's – we're recording on Wednesday. I don't know if you saw this morning's Flesh Wallone, uh, but it, Movistar was really driving the pace the entire time. 
Uh, they did not really take over on the on the the last time over the Murn. I think that might have cost Valverde the race. Though as Dan and I discussed pre-show, uh, a certain other contender who happened to win that race uh, looked really good and might have won anyway. But uh, yeah, there's just I mean you look at you look at this you look at the Movistar team and it is a great supporting crew and I think a better supporting crew for a race like Liège than a race like Barcelona. Yeah, Mikel Landa is a nice rider to have you know up your sleeve in a climber friendly race and that's what Valverde has and. And Landa showed a willingness to work for Valverde. There's been a lot of talk about Landa and whether he uh, likes to be a teammate to others. But he was looking like a good teammate at, at Flesh Valone, I have to say. Uh, mm-hmm. All of that was for naught, though, because Alejandro Valverde couldn't come up with the win at Flesh Valone, ruining pre-written article titles everywhere. He was he was denied. Julian Alaphilippe came away with a victory. Another one-day win for Quickstep this year, a team that has pretty much dominated from the gun uh, this season. And, you know, he was in position, they rode a good race, but I think you really have to say that Alaphilippe just looked strong. It wasn't just team, it wasn't just positioning, he looked really strong in that final climb. He looked good all year, and uh, this is a race that suits him very well. Like Valverde, he's got a good finishing kick, he can handle uh, the climbs. He's not quite so proven as a winner, he's got quite a few second and third place finishes, but now that he's won Flesh Wallone, maybe the monkey's off his back. And and yeah, he does have Philippe Chaubert and the rest of the Quick Step team around him. So you can't count out Quick Step in this race. Uh, and I think Julian Philippe is a rider that you really you have to see as a potential winner. And and that's a change. I think in the years past, he was certainly a potential uh, top finisher, but he just wasn't able to close it out. After Flesh, I have a lot more confidence in uh, Philippe. Vincenzo Nibali, we've mentioned him seven or eight times, I think, so far this show, just because he is he's had a he's had a very active spring. We saw him in the break in Flesh Alone, which is not a thing people generally say about riders you've heard of before. Except for Tim Wellens. Except for Tim Wellens. <laughs> we've seen Nibali do very well here before. I, I am of the opinion that he probably should have won the two thousand twelve edition. It, I mean, it looks like one of the most pronounced bonks I have ever seen, or hunger flats, depending on how you phrase it but just i mean the guy looked great the guy looked like he had a confident advantage and just slowly deflated over the last few climbs to get caught by uh, maxime mcglinsky uh but he definitely rode the race like he knew how to win this race i think he's in great form to do it here again this year um maybe a little a little more cannily um than last time we'll see he's gonna have to he's he's gonna he's gonna think a lot more about his feeding and, and and measuring his efforts but uh, I think based on what we've seen from Nibali so far this season, it's really hard to not have him in any winner's conversation in any race. Yeah, and I think you have to also point out that he's going to have to be canny because he doesn't have the sprint that Alejandro Valverde or Juliana Philippe have. He's probably a better climber than both of them. He's better descender than almost anybody in the peloton. Uh, but he's going to have to get away, and he's not going to be able to just wait for a sprint like a lot of these other riders are. So canniness is going to come in handy He's never wanted for candiness, though, so that's something that I think uh, he's something that that's something that Nibley has in spades. Strong team with Enrico Gasparato, Yanni Zagira, and Domenico Pazzavivo, another rider who has been up here in the past. A rider that uh, I'm not really sure what to expect this Liege Bastogne Liege former winner Dan Martin. He's uh, he's just not quite been as sharp as expected so far. Uh, riding for a new team this year, it's a team that really should be strong in these races. And beyond Dan Martin, they've got Rui Costa, they've got Diego Ulissi, two riders who have perfect skill sets for the Ardennes Classics, even though 
they don't quite have the results in the Ardennes Classics. They're guys that have done really well in tour stages or Giro stages that are bumpy, just like the Ardennes Classics, but they don't really perform at that same level you'd expect. But all three of those guys have really strong skill sets for a race like Liège. Uh, UAE hasn't quite been up there so far. I do think you can't count them out. You know, all those things about UAE having a strong team but not really knowing what to expect, I think that kind of also applies to Team Sky with Mikov Kwiatkowski, uh, Wout Pools, Sergio Anau. These are all guys who have done really well here in the past, but they're also guys who can kind of disappear at times, and, and it's tough to quite know what to expect from them. Uh, then again, you know, pretty much all of them, particularly Mikov Kwiatkowski, the moment you write him off, he'll go out and win Milano Sanremo or Trenor Adriatico. So it's it's really it's just really tough to uh, to know what to expect. But the strength is definitely there. The, the team has looked pretty good. I mean, they've put in a lot of work so far in the Ardennes Classics. The results have not been there this year. But then, like I said, it's it's probably not healthy to write them off. I, I will I will say, Wildpool is just looking really skinny this year. Really lean. Maybe uh, more... F- may- he, he, he is a former winner here, uh, but it was a, a kind of second option. He ended up in the right break at the right time, rode incredibly well. Maybe got a little bit of help from uh, Albacini being in the wrong or a slightly too high gear, too low gear in the final sprint. But uh, yeah, Sky's a really good team. Uh, they just, yeah, they haven't come through. We've seen a very active Michal Kwiatkowski uh, in a bunch of the classics, but he yeah, hasn't come through with that victory. But the, the, the combination of those two, if properly leveraged, could really kind of take over the last UK of this race. If you watch... Dan Martin's 2013 win, which you can do on uh, how the race was won, uh, you'll see that uh, Ryder Hazedal and he really, really just kind of worked the group over uh, before that final climb in Oz, and then it was just all Martin. And I think we could see a repeat of that here with Sky. Gary Thomas is supposed to be there, so it's a really strong team, uh, and I think they have options. Another another strong team that uh, I think is going to maybe fly a little more under the radar, Astana. Maybe flying less under the radar after Michael Valgren's Amstel win and his Umloop at Nispad win and his fourth place at Flanders, by the way. But still, between him and, and Fuel Song, I think they have two really strong riders that are going to get a little bit less attention than the likes of Valverde or Alaphilippe, uh, great climbers. Valgren's got a nice little finishing kick on him, too. I mean, he's definitely capable of winning out of a small group, so Astana's a team to watch uh, at Liege. No, they rode, they rode really well. Uh, speaking of two teammates, kind of... Work, working a group over uh, from a position of apparent weakness, they they, they rode really well uh, as as teammates in the end of that uh, Amstel race. Yeah, I think they really they put on a teamwork clinic. I mean, they, they full song went right when it was necessary to go, and then kind of wore out the peloton, and then Volker took perfect advantage of it. And yeah, it was really strong team tactics by Astana, and I think with pretty much the same same lineup here in Liège, we could see that again. Omar Freyle also looking strong right around this time of year. Nabbed a stage of the Basque Country. Another team that has done pretty well, a lot of Sudal at, at, at Flesh Wallone really almost kind of led out Alaphilippe, but also sort of had to. Uh, I think the only way Tim Wellens is going gonna, is gonna to take Flesh is by kind of turning the Murr into the final ascent of the Murr into a longer climb than I, I think it can be turned into, uh, which is why uh, if he invented their ride as well as they did uh, at, at Flesh, I think they could do really well here. I think the longer climbs play more to well in strengths. And I think he's not going to find himself in situations where he really wants to drive and the rest of the group doesn't want to drive. I think there are a lot of people here that don't want to come into that final, that final corner and on and, and, and face that sprint against a Valverde. 
so it, it seems like this is a better uh, a better uh, event for their team. Yeah, I think so too. Also, Tijbanot's been really strong this year across the board, climbing very, very well this season. Uh, he and uh, Wellens were both on the podium at uh, Brabantse Pale last week, so they're definitely working well together and in form. And as you point out, I agree. I think this is a better race for their style. Um, another team that has options, Sunweb. Michael Matthews, with I think the the performance of the day, uh, outside of Alaphilippe at Flesh Wallone, finishing fifth on the Mur de Huy. I mean, this is a guy that he's won bunch sprints, so he's won the Tour de France green jersey. This is a guy. He's not he's not Marcel Kittle, but he has been up there in huge, pure flat sprint stages before. To be fifth at Flesh Wallone and coming off of a tough injury only a couple of weeks ago, uh, really impressive ride by Michael Matthews. Liege suits him way better than Flesh Wallone. I mean, it doesn't have nearly the steepness of that final climb. If anybody doesn't, if he comes to the finish in a group, I mean, I think he's one of the few riders out there who's going to be capable of beating Alejandro Valverde in this finish. Uh, and of course, they're going to have Tom Dumoulin as well. Dumoulin's got a nice one-day ability uh, that I don't, I don't think is as much talked about, obviously, as his Grand Tour or time trialing skill set. So. Nice one-two punch there for uh, Sunweb, being able to rely on Matthews and Dumoulin, and also Simon Getchka, who's nice and handy in this sort of finish. BMC has had kind of a quiet year, but Dylan Toons is kind of an up-and-coming rider who should be very fun to watch here. He's got a collection of wins, uh, mostly at, at an overall uh, in, in kind of smaller stage races that people who watch cycling very closely, uh, know very well, and that no one else seems to be aware of. But uh, he's won, won the Tour de Pologne last year, won Arc de Race in Norway last year, was third at Flesh Pologne last year, uh, was sixth at Paris-Nice earlier this season. It should help having Simon Garens around to kind of usher him along as well. Uh, Garens definitely kind of slotting into more of a leadership role than like a contender role these days. But he's a guy that won this race not that long ago. Uh, speaking of Grand Tour types and, and stage racing types, Roman Bardet is a rider that really likes one-day races. He's certainly more associated with the Tour de France, with the Grand Tours, with stage racing, but he loves one-day races, and he has done very well in the Ardennes in the past. He's been uh, twice in the top ten at Liège, including last year. He was ninth at Flesh Wallone this week, coming in on, on good form here. I think he's a a rider who, yeah, he's not going to beat Valverde in a sprint, but he's a little more explosive than some people give him credit for. And I think he does certainly have a chance here. Uh, so if you're a French fan, there's actually a couple riders uh, I think you can be pretty excited about. Uh, Warren Bargui, another one coming into Liège, Bastogne Liège, that uh, you know has a chance as a more of a Grand Tour type guy. Uh, some of the other kind of best of the rest candidates, EF with a couple riders worth watching. Uh, Rigoberto Uran likes the Ardennes Classics a lot. Uh, they got Pierre Roland as well. They got Michael Woods, uh, a couple different riders on that team worth watching. Lawson Craddock had a really nice Amstel Gold race. Uh, Trek Segafredo, Balcom Mullema is a rider who puts a lot of effort into the one-day classics, and he's won uh, Classic Ascent Sebastian, by the way, sort of a similar hilly, long one-day. Dimension Data's got uh, Tom Yelta slagged, or he's looking pretty good right about now. Mitchelton Scott, one-two, well, kind of like a one-two-three-four punch with uh, Roman Kruisiger, Michael Albacini, Simon Yates, and uh, Jack Haig, who looked really good out there at Flesh Wallone. That's a really strong team. Uh, Katusha Alpson's got Nathan Haas and Ilner Zacharin. Lotto NL with uh, Robert Haysink, who, you know, not quite the rider that he used to be, but he's only 31. I mean, he's not not somebody that's that that old and in, in the twilight years of his career. And these are races that he definitely likes to do well in, or at least tries to do well in. Primoz Roglic as well. Uh, so 
plenty of climbers, I think, as usual, and plenty of big names. This race, and we saw at AMSO, a really nice start list. This is another race that, that draws a really nice start list of of, uh, of Grand Tour stars. We mentioned earlier we'd like to see some more, but there are plenty here. Uh, my predictions, I think, are going to include at least two of them. You ready to make your call on the podium? Yeah. Yes, I am. I'm so caught. You know, I can't pick Peter Sagan for this. This is it, true. It feels weird. Yeah. It, just to not have him be an option. Uh, I keep, you know, when I didn't pick him, he, he won. So I will say that there is generally a go-to rider for the Arden Classics. I'm curious, Cosmo. Is Alejandro Valverde on and or atop your podium? He is, he is on my podium. He is not atop it. All right. Let's hear it. I, I am going to go with uh, Michal Kwiatkowski to take the win here. He's been up in that final group before. Uh, I, I see a, I see shades of 2000, God, what was it, 4, 2005? Uh, Valverde's first win in 2006, where he bested Paolo Bettini, who had won this race a couple of times before in a sprint that Paolo Bettini was pretty sure he was going to win. I like uh, Kwiatkowski over Valverde to win this a surprising sprint result. Uh, and I will put, I'll put Michael Albacini in third. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Julian Alaphilippe as my winner. After the Flesh Rolone performance, I, I kind of actually the other day, it was, I was definitely in the Valverde camp. I, there was, it was going to take a pretty strong ride by somebody to, to change my mind. I, I even on the last Val News podcast said I was all, you know, all in for Valverde winning this race. But after watching Alaphilippe, I, I got to say, I think he's going to win. I think he's got a better chance and certainly going to be close. Valverde certainly on my podium as well. Uh, but uh, for me, Alaphilippe is rider to beat right now. And I'm going to round out the podium with Vincenzo Nibali. Uh, he's obviously going to need to get away from these other two guys if he wants to actually win the race. Because if he doesn't, it's tough to see him out sprinting Valverde or Alaphilippe. But the nice thing about Nibali is you know he's going to try. Uh, he's so, going to try to get away. So that's my three. Those are our podiums. That's our final podium of, of the Spring Classics. Hopefully we can go out with a bang. And hopefully this race as well uh, goes out with a bang. Like I said earlier, I'm optimistic. I like this race, and I'm, I'm ready to see it sort of reclaim some of that excitement, uh, and, and, and hopefully the likes of Vincenzo Nibali, Tim Wellens, uh, some of these other guys will, will help bring things back a little bit at Liège. So that's it. That does it for our Spring Classics previews. Be sure to catch the race on Sunday. Uh, it's it's going to be the last Spring Classic you're going to get to watch in 2018, but at least racing will continue, and we will be back quite soon for the Giro d'Italia, which is right around the corner. At, at, at least there's that. It's true. So be sure to catch the race and obviously check out Velo News for plenty of coverage from the men's and women's events, by the way. We'll see you soon enough. Hope you enjoyed. This has been The Recon Ride, the race preview show from the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And that's our show. <laughs>